yeah, but you know, it's so great that they're into it. My, especially my oldest, I, I'll have quite a bit of free time when my son turns 18. I'll be able to retire from my my job. And I told him if he wants to go out and do a, a long distance hike as like a graduation present, I'll pay for it. He and I can go out and do it. And it's totally selfish because it really isn't about him. It's about me going out there and taking the trail again. <laughs> I mean, I want him to experience it because it right. it taught me so much about life. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is Semper Fi, known off-trail as Andrew Bluebaugh. He completed his Triple Crown in 2001. In this episode, he takes a walk down memory lane with me. Even though it was almost 20 years ago, I bet it's going to sound strangely familiar, except for the Walkman. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, through spelled T-H-R-U, of course, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Semper Fi. Hello, Andrew. Hello. When you reached out to me, you said you you had done the Triple Crown. And Mm -hmm. when I was kind of looking your information up, you had done the Triple Crown like back in like 99, 2000, 2001. Correct. What prompted you? I mean, you just, you cranked them out. Like what what prompted you to to do that? (laughs) Yeah, the... I just gotten out of the Marine Corps and uh, I got out on a, on a medical discharge that was against my will. I wanted to stay in. So I'd always wanted to do the AT. I was always, I, I'd hiked sections of the AT when I was in high school. As soon as I got my driver's license, I conned my parents into letting me leave the state of Ohio to drive to Virginia. And so I, I'd always chased after it. And then uh, when I was getting out of the Marine Corps, they, the doctors basically said, Hey, if you want to get back in, you need to have a certain amount of time out of service showing that these medical problems, which was uh, ex- these extensive food allergies, weren't going to be a problem. And uh, it was something that was environmental that was causing them. So I figured, you know what, what better uh, way to prove that I can get back in than to hike the AT so I can kill two birds with one stone, check that off my uh, bucket list, and then get back in the Marine Corps. So I went down in uh, March 18th of 1999, uh, hiked the AT. And it was like halfway through, I was just, that was it. It's, you know, the, the, the bug got me and I was, no, I think I'm going to do another trail after this. And I already started playing the PCT while I was on the AT. So, you know, I'm in my early twenties at this point. I just figured, you know what, what better time to do it now? Cause I'm not married. I don't have a house. I don't have really any obligations. Uh, I can go back to school later. I can get back in the military later if I want, and I'll just be a vagabond for a couple of years. So that's what I did. I uh, got done with the AT and got a couple of jobs and just 
cranked out the the money as fast as I could do it and planned and prepared and then went out and did the PCT and then in 2001 did the CDT. So yeah, it was just a matter of uh, the time was right for me to, to crank them out. And a bunch of people at the time were thinking I was trying to chase after some record or, you know, of being, you know, there's all these weird things like, yeah, some people thought I'd be like the youngest one to do three of them in three consecutive years. I don't, I don't know. It, but that was never a, uh, that was never on, on the list. It was just a matter of convenience. Right. At that moment, it was the perfect opportunity to, to get him out. Right. Cause you've been, I don't know if you've been back to the PCT or the CDT, but you certainly have been back to the AT since then. Oh yeah. How has it changed? Oh, it's, <sighs> it has changed a ton. <laughs> I'm sure. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's so weird. And I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm one of these old people now that I sit back and be like, you know, back in my day, <laughs> but when I was, when I was a kid, when I was 16 years old, I went out in the AT the first time. I just remember, you know, not knowing a whole lot. I had a little data book and I had some, you know, maps that I bought from a backpacking shop and it's, you know, the stuff wasn't updated very well and the, the, the information was scant and, and that was part of the adventure. And then uh, in 99, when I was going for the, the AT, I, I did a lot more research. The internet was a lot more available at that point. And there were forums were just kind of getting going. And so there was this wealth of knowledge, but there was also a wealth of misinformation. Mm. And uh, so you kind of had to look at stuff and go, well, I don't know if that's right or not. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, the four people were trolls online. There were some trolls back then saying, yeah, you need to do this. You need to do that. So, you know, in 99, I didn't see one person with a cell phone. Nobody had GPSs. Nobody had, you know, it was, it, the technology was just not there. The, the ultralight wave hadn't really hit. There was a couple of people uh, doing ultralight stuff. It was weird if the, the majority of people were wearing, you know, leather boots mm-hmm. and thick yeah. wool socks. You know, it was just some people had Gore-Tex jackets and it was a big deal if you had a down sleeping bag and it was a big controversy because you're like, uh, synthetics are better. And so the the technology was just really, I, I guess, coming to light and things were getting lighter and better. And, you know, it was a big deal if you had an alcohol stove in 99. People would thought huh. you were nuts to get rid of your MSR whisper light. So, and then uh, in 2000, when I was on the PCT, I ran into a couple people with satellite phones. And that was weird. I don't know if you've ever seen a satellite phone. But yeah, one big heavy. blocks. Yeah, they, the old school ones. And uh, there was a couple people going out to do Triple Crown in one season, oh, uh, some ultra race type guys. And, uh, and they had these satellite phones and they were like, you'd see them up on a, on a mountaintop. You know, they come trucking up there, they pull out the satellite phone, they get a signal, they call somebody saying, hey, they're X number of miles away from a road, you know, for the pickup. And you're just thinking, wow, I can't believe this is coming to this. But whatever, it's this hike and yeah. it is what it is. And then uh, CDT, there was so few people out there there was really no technology that there it wasn't a diverse enough group to, to see any of that stuff. It was more of an ultralight thing was really starting to take off. Uh, you know, one people were extremely serious, you know, just to be on the CDT, it's a serious hike. So particularly at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, fast forward a couple of years, maybe 
I don't know, mid 2000s, like 2005 ish. I remember being out on a section hike and running into multiple people up on top of, you know, mountains trying to get a signal to call somebody and uh, just to say, hey, I'm here and just kind of checking in type thing. And then each time I, I would go out, you, know, you see more and more of the technology and more GPS and more this and more that. You know, I, I, I go out, I do now with my boys, I do a lot less miles, but we spend about the same amount of days on the trail each year. But we go out now, it's people don't sit around as much to chat. They're usually sitting around because someone's got a blog. Someone's yep. trying to call about a, a resupply drop and somebody's calling to say, hey, my shoes are just, they're blowing out. I need to do this. It's a different vibe when you're in a camp like that. So it's 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 weird. And the, and the ultralight craze is just ridiculous. The the, the equipment uh, uh, is just changed huge. What, what kind of equipment were you using? I, I, I don't even know if you would have paid attention to like what your base weight was and things like that back in... 99 2000 oh yeah yeah i mean weight was still always an issue just like it is today just it was you didn't have as much of an option the options were were limited you know you had people who were using tarps there was the silicon impregnated nylon stuff was just becoming kind of mainstream there's a couple of companies out there messing around with it but nothing really mass produced so, you know, a big deal for a lot of people were to take Sierra Design tents uh, that had a, a footprint and then they would just, they would gut it. They wouldn't use the main, the, you know, the two wall tent. They would just have the, the rain fly and then they attach their poles to the, to the footprint. And that was like, wow, they're, you know, skimping a lot of weight that way, you know, and, and then some people would just go strictly to the shelters mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But then on the PCT, the market was growing so much at that time. People were starting to catch up and there was a company out there. I think they're they're gone now, uh, but it was called Wonderlust. And they made one of the first well-known, and it wasn't mass produced. I think this guy was cranking them out one at a time, ultralight tents that you would use hiking poles to set them up. And it was like a diamond shape. And I ended up buying one of those halfway through the PCT because I could cut my, my tent in half you know, why wouldn't you do something like this? And it was probably the best purchase I ever made. And I kept that tent for, uh, I still have the tent, <laughs> but I used it on the half, half of the PCT and then the entire CDT. So wow. yeah, it was good. And I guess one of the big changes that I haven't really grasped, I see a lot of people using, uh, I guess, gravity fed uh, filters where they're, you know, putting yeah. the water in one bag and just hanging it up and letting it go. And I'm, I guess I'm old school where, uh, with my kids, I'm a little bit more frightened. So I, I tend to filter more than anything. I use a pump and people look at you like you're crazy. Do you use like the Sawyer squeeze or anything like that? Or I use a, uh, thing is old. It's a, it's sweet water. It uses, I'm sorry. No, it's a pure, it's a pure, but, um, Catadyne, uh, is, is who bought okay. them out, but it's, it still uses the same cartridges. But if I'm, if I'm not with my kids or like when I was on the, Actually, ATPCT and CDT, I typically use uh, iodine solution, Polar Pure. I'm a big fan of Polar Pure. So I just, I don't want to wait around for the water to be purified through some of these gravity fed things. It's just to me, it, it takes too long. So, but I'm I'm used to the Polar Pure as well and or filter. Or, so right. I'll go with one of those. How has your gear, actually, let me rephrase that. 
when you guys, when you go hiking with your, with your sons and stuff now, how ultralight do you go? Cause I'm assuming you have to carry some, you know, a bit of their gear and stuff like that. But you know, are you doing the ULAs and the Z packs and things like that? Or are you doing a, a more traditional pack at this point? Because last year was the first year I took both of them because my oldest who's 10, he can, he pretty much carries all his own gear and he actually carries some of the food as well. So that helps out a ton. But yeah. my seven-year-old, they've both been hiking since they were five. They always carry their own pack and we just, each year they get a little bit more responsibility. So I tend to go with a little bit more sturdy frame pack because of the amount of water, food, and gear I, I carry. But I still, I'm pretty, pretty lightweight. Like the the tent, I'm where I'm using a tarp tent, the uh, Cloudburst Three tarp tent, which is a great, you know, it's a bathtub bottom with some good mosquito netting. It's super lightweight for a three-person tent, so it's something that will will grow into over the years, mm-hmm. uh, but it gives us plenty of room. So that's super light. I go pretty light as far as, you know, I have two pairs of socks. I go with one pair of shorts. I have two t-shirts, one to sleep in and one to hike in. <laughs> you know, I give them a little bit more uh, gear. I'll carry a little bit extra clothing for them just so that they're not horribly uncomfortable if something bad happens. And then we go with quilts. Boys love quilts. We're mainly only hiking in the summer anyways. Right. Yeah. The uh, big Agnes, uh, I got two of those. I've got one and my 10 year old's got one. And we just got a, I just ordered a different one for my seven year old. It's a, it's a shorter one to save some weight on him. So, and then they go, I, I take a uh, ridge rests and cut them in half to close cell phone uh, mats. Right. Uh, so they each go with a, a half uh, pad. But uh, as I get older, I'm 42 years old and uh, the older I get, the more of a pad I want. So I used to be, <laughs> yes. you know, when I hiked the AT and the PCT, and the seat air. Now, CDT, I ended up going with a better mat just because it was, I think my body was starting to break down. But uh, AT and PCT, I, I had a closed cell, three-quarter length foam pad. Uh, and that was that was fine for me, but I was also in my 20s. And you're coming out of the Marines, so I'm probably... Yeah, and that's all we had in the Marines. So it was like, it was great. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? It was luxurious. Yeah, exactly. I take it now you're going, uh, you're going inflatable mattress. Yeah, I'm actually, you know, listen to your other, your, uh, the other podcast, the other through hikers that you've been talking to. I think it's the, uh, was it the Neo? The Neo Air, yeah. Neo Air, yeah. And I've been researching that because this last summer I just, I was, my back and my hips were just killing me and I'm like, I need a thicker pad. It's time to, time to upgrade. Yep. The, the Neo Air X-Lite and if you want to go really luxurious, uh, a a pillow. Yeah, and I've uh, I just started using a pillow here in the last year. Usually, it was just take my fleece mm-hmm. and ball it up and put it in a stuff sack, and I was always fine with that. But you know, with with all this stuff, whether it was back then or even now, it's it's always you've got to compromise because if you're not happy out there, you're not going to have a good time. So I try to go light. I'm one of these guys that back in the day, I know in the PCT, I got really weight conscious, and I was I went through all my packs all my drawstrings, everything. And I cut everything off that I knew I wasn't going to use. So I went to, I was using a uh, Dana design Bridger, which is, it's a pretty heavy pack. Mm-hmm. Dana designs back in the day were just bomb proof. <laughs> literally, I mean, it, I still have both packs. I, I use the Dana design on the AT and I bought a, a smaller one on the PCT to shave off a, another pound. 
Uh, but it was probably a four pound or three and a half pound pack. It was ridiculous, but it's super comfortable. It can you can haul a ton of weight in it, so that was nice. It, it carry it rides very comfortably. But I went through and I pulled all the all the straps out to where I knew I, you know, would use them to the max, and then I cut the excess off. And I went through all my drawstrings and I saved all that stuff up in a bag, and cut a chunk off the toothbrush because you don't need a full handle. And yep. some people go out with a full tube of toothpaste because it's going to last them the entire trail or half the trail and using the small sample ones, you save a ton of little, you know, a ton of weight with that, that little stuff here and there. So that it allows you to carry the more luxurious items. But for the longest time I, I used a, an alcohol stove. I just upgraded to a, uh, a small MSR canister stove just because we were cooking so much with the boys it was far more fuel efficient i had to carry less fuel and the weight worked out to being a better option carrying the the canisters it's it's pretty amazing these days like what you can get ultralight you know and and how people have revolutionized the the technology oh yeah yeah the i, I think most my base weight was probably just about 15 to 20 pounds i would say okay for for the pct and the cdt i know it was probably heavier on the at because i carried a a far heavier tent and uh and i didn't worry that much about it and i had a heavier bag i had a synthetic bag that was just it was overkill and i remember it was going into somewhere in northern virginia it was pretty warm and i was just essentially sleeping on top of it most of the time <laughs> and we were in a uh, a town someplace and there was a little shop in there and they had these fleece liners for your sleeping bags and they had them on sale because it was like a winter item and i thought i'll just use one of those i'll just send my bag home and i'll use that and it was perfect and i got into harper's ferry and uh my girlfriend at the time was meeting me there uh and we were gonna hike up through to like connecticut together and i told her what i did and she goes you sure that's fine and i'm like oh yeah it's great it's perfect and we walked out of Harper's Ferry and had this horrible cold spell come in oh, and we God. just froze our butts off. Oh yeah. It was, it was awful for about two days, but after that it was ended up being good. But um, then I got it back before, before the whites and it worked out perfect. I was going to say, did you swap it back out again? And, yeah. Yeah. But then with the uh, PCT and the CDT, I ended up uh, going with a Western mountaineering uh, down bag. I had two of them. I had a, uh, a warm weather bag. I think it was rated to like 45 degrees or something like that. And then a cold weather that was 20 degrees. And I only had a couple of nights that I was uncomfortable for a little while. Did you, when you did the PCT, did you run into snow up in Washington at that point? Uh, yeah, we had a little bit of snow. Uh, we had a lot of cold rain here and there. I really think my PCT and my CDT hike, I lucked out big time with the weather. It was just, it, it was not bad. The PCT I guess I, I was northbound on everything except CDT. I had to do a flip flop because of fires, but uh, it was, uh, I couldn't ask for, for better weather. I mean, mm -hmm. there really wasn't a time that you were just sketched out. Like you weren't going to make it. We had a little bit of snow flurry type stuff. It wasn't bad at all. And the PCT was, I started uh 421 and we ended 930. So September 30th. Oh, okay. Not bad. And that was where you yeah. said you did a flip flopping, right? Uh, CDT, I did a, a flip-flop. I hiked up uh, through New Mexico, 
got to Colorado and the snow pack was just awful. And, um, I had snowshoes back home that I could had shipped out and I just got to think and I started thinking about the miles. I hiked two days into Colorado and it was just post holding up to your groin with every step. And it was just awful. And we were barely making any miles. And so I went out and hitchhiked up to Idaho uh, ended up, uh, hitching got really slow. So we ended up, I was with two other guys at the time. We ended up getting a bus, took a bus up to Glacier and then started hiking South. And it, and it worked out perfect because it, there was, you know, always threats of fires and we were worried that they were going to close down parts of the Bob or, or Glacier or, you know, Yellowstone or something like that. And it ended up that we got up there, we got to see everything, and then there were no, really no threats for Colorado uh, at the time. We had a nice wet winter, and we got down there, and the snow was perfect. There was just little chunks here and there, and it didn't slow you down at all. Nice. So on the AT, what was the what was the period you you were hiking from when to when? Um, March eighteenth to uh, September fifteenth. Okay. And then what about on the PCT? Uh, that was April 21st to September 30th. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. I can see, I can see why you, you were lucky in the weather department. You kind of hit the, the golden period. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was good. It, the AT uh, that year was a drought year. I had friends, actually a, a girl Sundance who hiked on the PCT with me. She hiked the AT in 99 or 98 and that was like a super wet year. And she just had these horror stories about seeing a bog bridge and thinking you could step on it and it <laughs> floating in like oh, four foot geez. of water. And they just, you know, had massive people just quitting constantly because mm-hmm. they just never dried out. And we had a, a drought year. It was a matter of most of the time you get to a, a road crossing and there'd be a sign saying, hey, there's no water up here. Go down to the farm, you know, half mile down the road, they'll fill up for you. So. It was, that nice. was constant. What, what was your trail name? Did you have just one or? Uh, yeah, actually I didn't want a trail name, but I, I just got out of the Marine Corps. So you signed your letters, Semper Fi, and then your name. And so I would just write Semper Fi Drew in the, in the uh, shelter logs. And so people called, started calling me Semper Fi and I just stuck with it. <laughs> so, so Semper Fi is the, the Marine Corps motto, yeah. Semper Fidelis. Uh, of all of the things that they could give you, that was... Not too bad. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's better than yeah. It was it was bad because somebody was asked. Yeah, it was it's it's horrible. They <laughs> some of the stuff that people come up with. And it was like yeah, this is this is nice and mild. Exactly, you could relate. You were it, from this from what you're saying. It sounds like you were hiking with people at least periodically. Did you do any of the trails exclusively with other people, or was it just sort of trail family? expand and contract as, as you went along. Yeah, exactly. Trail family type thing. I guess I, I, I teeter on the edge of introvert extrovert. Mm. So a, a lot of times, you know, I, I started all of them by myself, had no plans of meeting up with anybody. And then, uh, on the AT, it was, it was really busy. It, it, most people try to avoid, uh, April 1st. That's like one of the big kickoff days. So I, that's, I wanted to start early and everybody else kind of had the same idea. (laughs) So, you know, luckily I was in good shape. So I tried to just, you know, punch out some crazy miles and get away from people, but you just ended up catching other people. So found that happy medium there and 
ran into people that were really cool that didn't, you know, nobody ever insisted that you hike with them and over, nobody ever kind of overstayed their welcome. So you just kind of, you could spend time by yourself if you wanted to, you could hike with people if you wanted to. The PCT was different. I, uh, it was not busy. I didn't run into a lot of people when I hiked in uh, 2000. I didn't run into a lot of people until Aguadalce. And I think I just, I just caught a, a group of people. And that group of people I met in Aguadalce and then uh, Tuolumne Meadows between that section, we pretty much leapfrogged each other the entire time. Uh, we all finished uh, on the same day. Once we got up somewhere uh, in Washington, we all just decided we're going to stick really close so we could finish together. It would be cool. And it was it was fun. But I hiked with two people primarily on the PCT back and forth throughout throughout the trail. CDT, I didn't meet anybody until northern New Mexico. It was just, I don't know, it was maybe a day or two south of Chama, which is the last town you hit before Colorado. And I ran into two guys. Okay. We went up to Canada together and then started hiking south. But we just, they were very ill-prepared. And I felt like I was babysitting them quite a bit. So <laughs> I, I ended up just running away from them. Right. <laughs> Uh, at that one point they were just, it was getting really bad. Uh, and then I ran into two people that we just kind of, you know, leapfrogged each other throughout the CDT. And, uh, but it was, I want to say there was only 12 or 13 people who attempted the CDT in 2001. I think there were seven or eight of us that finished. Wow. I mean, th- I mean, those are, those are actually percentage wise, really good. All things considered. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it wasn't a bad fire year. It wasn't a bad snow year. It was, pretty decent but most of the people were southbounders too yeah i'm not surprised that that seems to be the trend for whatever reason on on the cdt you know versus the other two which are more, much more traditional northbound yeah yeah the, the the colorado snow i think really dictates what you do on the cdt yeah but but even then like I, i've spoken to a couple of people who did it the cdt in 2017 and they ran, I mean, they were all doing it at the same time and they all basically ran into the same storm, heavy snowstorm in Colorado when they were going southbound. Oh yeah. So you sort of get it either direction at that point. Yeah. Yeah. When I was, when I was headed south through Colorado, I hit, it was right around, it was just after September 11th because I ended up getting off the trail. God, that's uh, right. It was, yeah, I, it was so weird. I had a, a little Grundig shortwave radio that I carried on all the trails for news. And the CDT, I just, I usually didn't have a good signal. So I was like, you know what? I carry this thing way too long. Next time I'm in town, I'm, I'm shipping it out. And, I, you know, I'm up at 12,000 plus feet most of the time in, in Colorado. So I plugged in my headphones. I was like, I'm going to try and catch up on some news before I get rid of this thing. Maybe talk myself into keeping it. And it was September 11th. And I, plugged in that morning and I'm walking and I'm hearing people say, you know, how horrible this is. And I'm like, what is going on? I have no idea. And that was the biggest day I ever did. Cause when I finally realized what had happened, mm-hmm. I, I, I was like, I got to get in town. I got to figure out what's, what's going on, you know, what's going on with the world. And uh, I did 58 miles that day. I just cranked it out and got into uh, Leadville and then sat in a hotel for like three days, just watching the news. Uh, and then got back on the trail and it was like maybe a week later 
a friend that I hiked the AT with, her and her husband were in Boulder and they came out and got me and they didn't want me to leave because they're like, hey, there's a bad storm coming in. And when they dropped me back off, I was like, ah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. They're like, no, you're not from Colorado. It won't be fine where you're going. It'll be fine down here. It won't be fine up there. And it, I, yeah, I got pounded. That nomad tent that I had, it was just, I remember middle of the night constantly waking up that the, it was sagging like 18 inches and I'd have to push the four pounds of snow off each side of it so it wouldn't collapse. It was just wow. big wet snow. Yeah. And I was, what did I get myself into? And I started looking at my maps and going, okay, if I have to bail, this is where I bailed. No, it, it's, it's crazy. I, I mean, at this point, we sort of, September 11th is, is something that we commemorate each year and, and all of that. But it wasn't that long ago. And, no. you know, you, you mentioned it, it was sort of like, wow, like, where were you when it was sort of when, like, when Princess Di died, and you're like, where were you when right. that news came through? Right. I, I, I remember the day like it was yesterday, it was a beautiful blue day. And it was just, I was certain, and I almost feel like I got to go back and hike that section again. Because if you've been into the Leadville area, I mean, it's gorgeous to begin with. And it's some of the, you know, highest ridges that you're, you're going to be on, on the CDT. And I just, I mean, I cranked out the miles. And I remember getting to the road thinking I could hitch into Leadville. And it was just this podunk little road. And there was like one car every 40 <laughs> minutes and the sun was going down. I'm like, ah. So I ended up crawling up into a bush and zonking out. And the next morning I got up and just trekked it into town. It was you know, a couple of miles. Yeah. Did you, when you, when you did that, that long day, I mean, were you hiking in the night or you literally cranked out 50 plus miles in like the 12 hours or whatever that you were? Yeah, I was, it was pretty normal for me to crank out big miles. So nothing like that. Uh, I'd done a couple forties, 140, like on the PCT and 40 here and there on the CDT. But for the most part, uh, my average on the PCT and CDT were always in the the twenties range. Every once in a while, you throw a thirty in there because you had to, or you you know you needed to. But I was just so motivated to find out what was going on that I just yeah. cranked it out and you know drank when I had to and ate on the run. And I got like I said, I got to the road just as the sun was hitting the uh, hitting the uh, ridge line, and uh, it was just getting dark. So it was a full day hiking. Amazing. Pretty amazing. When you were doing all that, I mean, did you end up going back into the Marine Corps after that, or no? Just... Uh, I got in. I did some private security, and then I uh, okay. did some other stuff. So, so you stayed. You stayed in the private life. Yeah. And did you continue hiking, or you sort of had your fill for a little bit, and then and and put put it aside? I I, I tell people that. Hiking was probably the worst thing I ever did to my life. It was like, it's like an addiction, <laughs> at least for me, you know, and I think about it every day and it was, it was weird. I got done with the CDT and I, I was, you know, I just got out of the Marine Corps. So I didn't have a house or anything. And luckily my mom, you know, was just so supportive. I, I basically based out of her house, she didn't charge me rent. So I would just go and I'd work these, you know, menial jobs here and there and scrape money aside and then go out and, you know, travel. I come back with, when I got back from the, uh, the PCT, I had to borrow money for a haircut and gas money so I could go get another <laughs> job. So I, I got wow. done with the CDT 
And right off the bat, I was like, I already knew what was next. I had like 10 things on my list. I just had to figure out what I was going to do when I had the money to do it. I was going to go out. It, my, my big thing was I was going to go to South America and begin to climb and stuff as well. So I figured I'd go down to South America and, and uh, do some mountaineering. Uh, and I was thinking about seven summits and all this other stuff. And as I'm planning and I've got this job, I, I start running into friends from high school and I graduated in 95. So everybody is out of college. They're getting real jobs. They're having families. And I'm sitting here and they're like, so what are you doing? And I was like, well, I live out of a pack six months out of here. And I'm, the other six, I'm living out of my mom's basement. <laughs> and I had this guilt, like I need to get along with my life and maybe, I don't know, get into that, that, you know, whatever normal is. And, and not that it's a bad thing. I mean, I, I, I'm in a great place now. I'm, you know, I've got a good profession. I've got a wife, I've got kids and a house and everything else. And I still, I still long to hike and I'm, I'm trying not to ruin my kids with it. So I, I just, the addiction. I, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's so great that they're into it. My, especially my oldest, I, I'll have quite a bit of free time when my son turns 18, I'll be able to retire from my, my job. And I told nice. him if he wants to go out and do a, a long distance hike as like a graduation present, I'll pay for it. He and I can go out and do it. And it's totally selfish because it really isn't about him. It's about me going out there and taking <laughs> the trail again. I mean, I want him to experience it because it's, right. it taught me so much about life. I met so many great people from all over the world, from all different walks of life. And I think that was better than the year I spent in college before I dropped out and joined the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. It was just a great, you, you become self-sufficient, you learn how to talk to people, you know, the art of hitchhiking and knowing what's a good situation, what's a bad situation and uh, managing your money so that when you, you can make it home, you know, when you're done with your hike, you know, just and get a haircut. little stuff like and get a haircut, get a job. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think about it every day and I think about, you know, could I scrape together some vacation and go out and do the Colorado trail? Cause that's, that's another thing on my list. You know, the long trail is another one. And uh, I did the John Muir and, uh, you know, I was like, I'd like to do that again. You know, so there's just so many, so many little things. How was hitchhiking for you back in, back in those days? I had a couple of sketchy instances, but they were obvious right off the bat. Uh, the first one was the first hitchhike, and that was in the Hiawatha, Georgia, uh, for the first uh, resupply that was off trail. The first one was literally on the trail. The trail actually goes through like a, uh, I can't remember the name of the place, but there's actually a little uh, camping store that's on the AT that the trail actually goes through it. So you can resupply there. And then the next one is Hiawatha, Georgia. And me and this other guy who had attempted a through hike the year before, and he had done like the first 150 miles or something. He and I were hitchhiking in Hiawassee and this guy pulls up, he's going the other direction and he goes, Hey, you guys trying to get in town? And we're like, yeah, we're going to Hiawassee. He goes, Oh, you're going the wrong way. Give me 20 bucks and I'll take you into town. <laughs> and just the way he said it and everything. And I look at the guy I'm hitchhiking with, he's kind of doubting him. Like, are we on the right way? And he just real confidently said, no, that's okay. We're, we're going to go. And we just kept walking the other way. And the guy sped off. And it was just, it was one of those things like, ah, I think he was trying to scam us, you know, take yeah. 20 bucks, take us down the road and say, hey, give me another 20 and I'll actually get you back to the to town. And then, uh, you know, actually we weren't hitchhiking. I was crossing the, uh, the Mojave on the PCT and uh, had some dune buggies come up and 
kind of harass us a bit, but it was short lived. Uh, it's just, I think they're just being, you know, they're probably drunk or something that they're just kind of being jerks. Mm-hmm. I had a really interesting incident in Oregon and it wasn't an incident. It was just, it was kind of funny because I'm hitchhiking by myself and this beautiful woman in a Jeep Wrangler pulls off to the side and says, Hey, are you hiking the PCT? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, jump on in. She was just so nonchalant about it. And I was like, wow, it's kind of weird. So, I, <laughs> you know, usually it's, it's a different, different demographic that picks, picks up a, you know, yes. hairy, stinky guy at the side of the road. So we're driving down the road and I end up saying, I was like, you know, I, you're the last person I expected to pick me up. She goes, why? I was like, well, you know, nothing against you being a woman, but usually, you know, younger women don't pick up strange guys at the side of the road. And mm-hmm. she pulls a gun out and she goes, no, I got this and puts it back away. <laughs> you know, Hey, I'm fine. And I'm like, okay, that that's great. <laughs> and she took me into town and that was it. But for the most part, hitchhiking was, was a lot more simple than, than I thought. I thought it was going to be a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. AT is super easy because everybody knows who you are, where you do, you know, where you're going, what you're doing for the most part. PCT, uh, I was super lucky because there were two or three girls that were kind of leapfrogging with everybody. So we would always make sure that a guy teamed up with a girl or if somebody had a dog, you, you hitchhiked with them because everybody always took pity on the girls and the dogs and you got picked <laughs> up right away. And they I didn't care about still you. the case. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just human human behavior. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was it was pretty simple for the most part. I don't remember really waiting too long to to really get in. You know, we didn't have any horror stories about uh, trying to get into a town and not being able to. There was actually one instance where we were in was it uh, somewhere in Washington, and uh, a couple of people that we were hiking with knew that Neil Young was going to be at the gorge mm. and they're like, we should hitchhike to the gorge and see Neil Young in concert. And like none of us had tickets. And so we ended up hitching, getting a ride to the gorge. And then uh, we're out front. And one of the people that we were at with said, Hey, you, you put your, like a number one up on your forehead with your finger. And that means that you need a ticket and you don't have much money. I'm like, I've never heard of such a thing. And we walked around like that. And sure enough, people started giving us tickets. They're saying, hey, would you give me 20 bucks for a ticket? And we all got tickets. It was a great little side trip, but we hitched in and we hitched all the way back out. You So you did Neil Young at the Gorge in George Washington at one of the wineries. Uh, what is it? Mo, uh, Saint-Michel or something like that winery? I don't know if it's winery. I'm trying to think where it used, that's what it used to be. Is okay. one of the wineries has an, a little kind of almost like an amphitheater. Yeah. Right off the Columbia river. Yeah. 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 Looking at Columbia river is it's freaking gorgeous. Like oh, best yeah. seat in the yeah. house. <laughs> we ended up having half of us had lawn seats and half of us had seats in the front. And then of course the, the girl we were with Sundance because somebody took pity on her and got her up to the sixth row. And then they mm-hmm. came and got us and got us up to the sixth row. So in my hiker <laughs> scrapbook, I got, Picture like a great picture of Neil Young sitting there cranking on the guitar. <laughs> nice, very nice. Did you have much issues with with injury or anything like that while you were going? I had uh, I fell a couple times and gashed my knees. I was never one for blisters. Lucky being in the Marine Corps, though they they're big on. I mean, you actually have they they actually designate a Marine. Well, I was in the infantry, so they they designate somebody in your unit to be the blister Marine. So they have a little blister kit and 
when you're out in the field, if you have anything, any hot spots, anything like that, you bring it up and you know how to pat it with mole skin and everything else. You really take care of it. So I learned early on that as soon as you feel a hot spot, you take the shoes off, take the socks off, figure out what's rubbing the wrong way, uh, use a piece of duct tape or do something to get rid of that that friction. So I was always very conscious of, of my feet and, and I've got good feet too. I don't have anything that's crazy, high arches, flat feet, anything weird that, that doesn't fit in the shoe right. So, and I always use merino wool socks. I usually change my socks once a day. I just keep flopping them uh, right around lunchtime. I hang them on the back of my pack unless it's raining. If they're already wet, then they're already wet. But, you know, just keep flopping them back and forth and uh, kept my, my feet healthy. So, what, what, like, what was your blister kit? Because I mean, obviously blisters is a huge deal for any of any through hiker. So, yeah, just a... Uh, a needle. I always, you know, made sure I had a lighter to sterilize the needle if I needed to pop it. I never had a blister to pop on any of the trails. I always had duct tape. Uh, that was kind of one of the big things that I learned in the Marine Corps was because it keeps it nice and slippery, so you're not rubbing against skin. So uh, either putting duct tape inside your shoe or boot or against uh, the actual skin as well. But and then mole skin for a little bit of padding. And I had a little, the little Leatherman scissors. Mm-hmm to be able to, to cut, means you cut a hole like a donut and put over whatever the hot spot is. But I usually helped people more than I ever had to help myself, my feet. I just, I was super lucky with that. Now I had Giardia twice oh. and that was absolutely awful. And that was just total laziness on my own part. I mean, I knew as, as soon as I started having the symptoms, I knew when I had gotten it. And it was just a matter of just being lazy. I got cocky. The first, uh, first one was on the PCT. It lasted. It ended up running its course before I could even get in to, to get any help. And my body just took care of it. But it was it was like an awful like eight or nine days. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the other one was in uh, Colorado. I was right before I finished the trail and I was hiking around and I wasn't paying attention to elevation at all. And I just, this beautiful streams right there. And I was so used to being altitude and I just did filter, but I, and I was carrying polar pier. I mean, it took literally five seconds to dump a cap full of iodine solution in there and let it sit for 20 minutes. But I just didn't <laughs> put it underneath the, uh, this nice flowing stream. It's gorgeous and take a big chug of it or whatever. And I'm hiking along and it's like 20 minutes up the trail. I come up to a flat level area and there's this giant beaver pond. And I'm like, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, uh, when I finished up the trail, my friends that I had hiked the AT with that were living in Boulder, they were moving back to Vermont and I was, uh, we were going to spend a couple weeks in Colorado, Wyoming, Dakota's rock climbing. And we were just outside of Mount Rushmore and it was just, that was it. It was, it was awful. I had to go in, I went to the hospital and it was, it got flagile and everything and took care of it. But it was, it was awful. It was worse than the first time. It sounds like it. If you hike through the first time. Yeah. The, the, what I would tell anybody is don't get cocky over (laughs) having great, you know, snow melt. I mean, sometimes you, you're fine. You're up there, but if you get anywhere near tree line, that's it. And I would never allow my boys, at least at this age, I'd make them, you know, they can make their own decisions when they're older, but we're out there. You're going to, you're going to filter, you're going to treat. That was pretty awful. Be safe. Yeah. No, and it's interesting because I've heard, I've heard from a couple of people now who have gotten Giardia and it's amazing 
being sick, being dehydrated, not feeling good, and how much that changes your experience of the trail and your desire to keep, to keep on the trail. Oh, yeah. It was awful. I, ne- I never thought I would get off. I never had those feelings of why am I here? I was just so driven and I just, I was loving every minute of it. But I remember a couple of times throwing my pack down on the side of the trail in Oregon and just laying there because my, you know, just cramping up and knowing that you're dehydrated and wondering if, you know, you start thinking, maybe it's not GRD, maybe it's something worse. (laughs) (laughs) This is pretty awful. And then just trying to make a plan of, you know, an exit strategy of, you know, where am I going to go to? And some some of the places I remember, I can't remember exactly where I was in Oregon, but it wasn't great. There was fishing camps here and there. It wasn't like there was a nice hotel, someplace that you could just kick your feet up or there wasn't a trail angel or a hostel anywhere nearby that you could chill out for a couple of days. It was sparse. How was like trail angels and trail magic back then? It was great. It seemed to catch you just at the right moment. Maybe it's because you weren't expecting it or anything, but it would just, maybe you weren't having a great day or you just, your body is starved of calories and you're thinking about something and all of a sudden you come around the bend and there's a cooler sitting there (laughs) or, you know, there's a guy, uh, Fanny Pack was his trail name on the AT and he had hiked a couple of times on the AT through the nineties and early two thousands. He was a known trail angel out there. And we were somewhere in Virginia and I remember coming down the trail and I was like, my, my brain is, is tricking me. I swear I smell hamburgers and hot dogs and it smells like a cookout. And I'm like, I know there's like no campgrounds nearby. There's nothing. And I'm getting aggravated because I keep smelling this. It's gotta be a plant. And then all of a sudden we come down and there's this little road crossing and there's fanny pack with a grill. And he's like, Hey, you want a burger? And you're like, ah, it was just, it was great. And he did the same thing to us up and he drove out to, I think it was Washington and had uh, found out where the group of us were and set up another cookout at a roadside. And uh, it was, it was absolutely perfect. The best trail magic was the, 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 the best trail magic is when it's a trail angel that doesn't know that they're trail angel. It's just somebody who, (laughs) okay. Uh, I, I guess uh, coming down from or crossing the Pines to Palms Highway, there was a place, and I'm not sure if it's still there. It was called the uh, the Pink Cabin. Does that ring a bell? Have you ever heard that? No, I've not heard it, but that doesn't mean. Yeah. And, well, then again, this is back in 2000. There was a couple that lived down there, and they basically put a sign up saying any hikers that need water can come to our house. And they had just learned about the PCT and they just were trying to be good people. And Mm -hmm. uh, me and a couple other hikers happened to be like some of the first people that they actually talked to. Some people just came up to their hose and filled up and carried on. And so uh, we show up and they were just making dinner and they were like getting ready to to start cooking and they're like there was five of us there and they're like well you guys want to stay and we're like yeah sure so they brought out more food (laughs) and then pretty soon he's like well i'm gonna run down the store real quick and he runs down and brings back a couple cases of beer and bags of chips and just a just a bunch of junk food for us and he he was just trying to be nice you know it wasn't like he didn't realize Mm -hmm. what effect this had on us and it's little stuff like that or uh and that happens every so often. You run into 
to somebody and you know one of the the questions that you always get asked is well from people who aren't hikers well where do you sleep you started from where you're going where and then usually it comes up <laughs> what's the hardest thing and you don't tell them really what's the hardest thing you always go into food oh food's the hardest thing because then usually you can talk about them, a snickers bar or you know something that they have in their their picnic baskets called yogi ink <laughs> and uh mm-hmm. you can you know you 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 open up that conversation and they're like, Oh, well here, here's a, here's a roast beef sandwich. <laughs> it's, that's such a, uh, a pleasant surprise, you know, when you just start talking to somebody and they just offer something up that's just so out of the ordinary and it just kind of makes your day. Yeah. Have, have your boys had the experience of uh, trail angels, trail magic, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, we, we ran into a cooler, and uh, there wasn't much in there, so I told them we're not taking anything because we don't need anything. There's through hikers that would that would appreciate it, but they just thought it was a great idea. And then my oldest it was a couple years ago. We were in Virginia uh, near McAfee's Knob, and we ran into two through hikers who just looked awful. Um, and uh, they were and one of them was sick, and one of them had a, a really bad blister on their heel, and they just weren't sure what to do. And I was like, "Look, Waynesboro is just down the road; it's like 20 miles away. I'll, I'll drive you in." And they were just elated that you know they're like, "Are you serious?" And I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely. I've, <laughs> I've been in your shoes. I know what it's like." And so we, we you know, we took them down there, and my my oldest just thought that was great that we helped out these hikers, and he saw how much they appreciated it, and. I think he, he learned something about, you know, helping, helping somebody, even though they're a stranger, and you don't know them. It's just a good person in need. So it was a great learning opportunity for him. That's wonderful. The trail giveth and the trail uh, provides. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the same thing. Anyway, <laughs> talking to people now, a lot of people with their food, they do a few resupply boxes and, and they're, but they're primarily purchasing from the stores along the way and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, what were you doing at that point? Um, a mixture. The, the AT is logistically really easy for the most part. There's only a handful of places that you need to really, unless you have a specialty diet or something, but for the most part, mm-hmm. you can get away with going town to town. I'm a firm believer, though, that you will be a happy hiker as a, as a well-fed hiker. I made a terrible mistake on the AT and I didn't understand nutrition very well. And I lost a lot of weight that I shouldn't have lost muscle mass. I didn't understand protein that, you know, the body needs. And and when I got done with the AT, I, when I got home and I'd already had like a week off. So I was sitting around with some friends and we were just eating and I probably put on five pounds. But by the time I got home, my mom wanted to take me to the hospital because she thought I was (laughs) like sickly. So that right. kind of sparked, I, I really need to understand this better. So I got into uh, to researching better food and still keeping the weight down and and stuff that was still easy to cook and everything else. And one of the things I learned from the Marine Corps was just from a morale standpoint, it was always great when they brought a hot meal out to you uh, when you'd been out in the field for you know a week or two and, and all of a sudden you get a hot meal, it kind of, it changes everything. So I was never one oh, yeah. to, yeah, I was never one to do a cold soak on anything. To me, that just seemed awful. Unless I was like out of fuel, that's the only reason I would do a cold soak. But I liked my, I liked my little pick me ups. Whether it was coffee in the morning or hot chocolate on a on a cold night, uh, or you know, a cup of tea or something like that. Having uh, doing your own little trail magic. I used to hike out of town with a Jello instant 
cheesecake and you'd hike like two days out. <laughs> and then like when everybody's talking about food that they missed in town and I wish I had this and you don't tell anybody and you just make it up. And if you had a cold stream, you, you set your pot in there. So it will set up at least. And then you're like, Hey, who wants some uh, cherry cheesecake? And everybody's like, Oh, whatever. And you're like, no, really? <laughs> and that just changes everybody's morale and uh, including your, you know, your own. And it's just, it, it, it's, it's a great way to, to keep yourself going is, is to have good food. So I would, I guess to answer your question, I just went on tangent was, uh, no worries. Uh, I, I would bounce some stuff to myself uh, on the AT every once in a while. I would call my mom and have her ship stuff to me. If there's something I couldn't get the PCT, I was a lot more organized. I knew a lot more about the resupplies. I knew about food burnout, you know, getting tired of one specific thing. So I took the time to do veggie packs and changed up the veggies. Dehydra- I bought a dehydrator and I just went crazy. I made sure that uh, even though I loved one thing, I didn't have it every night. They may right. only have it like once yeah. a week, even though it's something I really craved. But that, you know, it's something I can look forward to. The CDT was the same, even even worse, uh, as far as logistics, really watching what you do. One of the other things I would do on the on the PCT, I did it a couple times on the AT. I picked it up from another guy on the AT. Was if you go into like a store, like a, where they have a, a deli um, or a, a meat counter, and if you can get the the meat guy to wrap up a steak for you, like an aluminum foil, and if it's not fire season or something like that, and you're allowed to have a fire, your first night out is to start a fire and cook yourself a steak for your first meal. It's a little bit of weight on the way out, but most of the time people, it's, it's a half day out of town most of the time anyways. So it's, it's yeah. one more huge chunk of protein that you get. And it's another morale booster. Didn't do it much on the CDT just because either I didn't have the opportunity to do it or when I did, it was usually bear country and I just didn't want to have <laughs> that sort of mess with me in case. <laughs> so just in case. Yeah. But uh, the, what kind of stuff were you eating on the AT? Like, was it just heavy carb or? Yeah, way too much sugar and, and okay. carbs. Back then, way back in my day, uh, we didn't have envelopes <laughs> of tuna. We had cans of tuna. So yep. canned tuna, I mean, it's so heavy, you had to drain it. And then you, you're carrying the cans out. So it almost wasn't worth it. So a lot of times, and it was really expensive, but you would do jerky and you'd tear jerky up and throw it into your Lipton dinner or some ramen, you know, uh, instant mashed potatoes, stovetop stuffing, heavy carb stuff. Yeah. You know, the typical type of hiker stuff. When PCT, I got into uh, textured vegetable protein, throwing that into stuff for extra protein and just extra mass. If you ever messed with TVP, that's a good like staple just to throw a, you know, half a cup into every dinner. It just kind of boosts it. It's better than doing like instant mash. What was it you were throwing in there? TVP, textured vegetable protein. I'm not. Okay. It's uh, It looks like grape nuts, but. Is that like a soy or? Uh, I think so. You, it, okay. it looks like grape nuts or like heavy breadcrumbs. And then once it gets in there, it soaks up liquid and it gets real soft. It doesn't really have a, a huge taste. I'm sure it's probably soy based, but it's pretty decent for for protein and some extra calories and it's acts as a uh kind of like a kind of like tofu. It takes on its own the taste of whatever else you're you're cooking. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, just uh, messed around with with stuff like that. Some instant uh, tornalini that is out there. A lot of different dehydrated uh, uh, red sauces and stuff like that. I messed around with. Did you do any of the sharp or extra sharp, sharp whatever cheddar oh, cheese yeah. and things like that from stores? Oh yeah, I, I think I, I can't think of a recent or any time I supplied, if I could get a, a block of cheese or even two, I would sometimes I would take two out with me. Just eat extra the first couple of days, depending on the temperature that it was out. But yeah, for the most part, that I never had an issue with cheese not keeping well. Yeah. Extra sharp cheddar seems to be the ticket. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely that. Uh, the summer <laughs> sausage. Yep. All that, all that good stuff. Some things never change. Yeah. And then you did something similar on on the CDT, you were saying, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, the CDT was a lot more planned as far as the logistics went. My my mom's basement, I had boxes lined up, each box numbered. I had a packing list for each one. I kept them all open so that I could call her ahead of time and say, hey, you know, and I knew what was in each box. And I would say, hey, box number five needs to be shipped out, throw an extra pair of shoelaces in there a pair of socks and I would have kind of like a big pile of extra gear that I knew would wear out and that she could just send to me at certain certain spots. So, and it, at that time, the PCT and the CDT I used, I wore New Balance. New Balance got into the trail running uh, shoe back then and mm-hmm. I fell in love with them on the PCT and the CDT, they actually, uh, I called them up because I was short on cash and I said, hey, this is what I'm doing. Is there any way you could help me out? And they ended up giving me shoes. They said, just tell us what you want, but give us feedback so we know what works and what doesn't. And that worked out really well. So I had a big pile of shoes in my mom's basement and everything from super light stuff to heavier waterproof type shoes. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. What What do you use now? What do you, what do you hike in now? I bounce around a bunch of different stuff. I like salmons. I'll do, uh, I'll do any trail running type shoe. Uh, I've been messing around with a bunch of stuff. I haven't found anything I absolutely love, but I haven't found anything I absolutely hate. So I, I get my, my feet. I, I, I think I'm just blessed with really good feet that I don't have any weird arches or odd shaped mm-hmm. heels or anything like that. So I can, I can get away with wearing quite a bit of different stuff. I, I think socks are just as important, if not more important than, than shoes. People tend to overwear their socks and they get threadbare and then they're wondering why their feet hurt. And the, the socks act as a great cushion. And, and a lot of people wear out their shoes longer than they should. I yes. went through like, I think it's seven pairs of shoes on the CDT. I was lucky to get five, 600 miles. Now I was wearing a, most of the time an ultralight runner, but or what would be considered like a street runner today. But So they're not going to last as long. But some of the heavier shoes, that you know, I was lucky to get 700 miles out of them. But I knew when I would take the insoles out, and the heel or the ball of the foot was like totally, there was no give to it. And I knew, oh, that's it. They're done. Most people look at the bottom of the shoe, the tread, or if they're starting to look worn on the outside. To me, it was, you know, if that insole is is compressed and it's no longer having any cushion, if that's compressed, the other parts are getting compressed and they're not going to take that, yeah. that shock off your knee. So I changed out shoes a lot quicker than, than some people as well. Did you have any lingering issues from the hikes? Uh, other than constant longing to uh, be back out there. <laughs> other than mental <laughs> <Yeah>. injury. <laughs> mental and emotional injury. Um, no, just, just mental stuff. I didn't own a TV for like three or four years after, probably longer than that, four or five years after. I just kind of gave up TV and then I didn't have a cell phone until 
now my wife, we were dating at the time. She bought me one because she couldn't get a hold of me at all. This is probably in <laughs> 07, 06. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it kind of changes you when you, you spend that much time out there. And now it's probably different now because everybody's got cell phones, but I, I couldn't stand hearing a phone ring when I got back. It was, it was weird, but you just don't hear it. The other thing that was weird was... How was it with like the rush of people? Like people and conversations and noise oh, yeah. and cars and... Talk about becoming introvert. You you want to be alone. It takes a while to kind of get to those, at least for me, for those larger social gatherings. Uh, driving was, was difficult too. I got back from the CDT because you didn't... There wasn't a ton of hitchhiking on the CDT. At least I don't recall it being that crazy, but I remember coming back and trying to drive like on the highway and I felt like 55 was like really fast. It took me a couple of weeks to kind of get used to, <laughs> cause you're just walking. So at least that's yeah. how it was for me. The speed, which everything moves. Yeah. How, how was that? Like, particularly since when you did them, particularly the CDT and the PCT, it was a much lonelier, quieter experience. So, and, and you wouldn't have had the benefit of all of the, you know, electronic music and podcast and audiobooks and all of that good stuff. Like, how did you plan your days? It's funny. Everybody I knew on the AT and most of the people on the PCT, I guess all three trails, everybody always carried a book and you traded books. So you would finish, you know, one paperback and you'd trade it to the other person. It didn't even matter if you were really that interested in it. So when you'd stop for a break, you'd enjoy the, the scenery, you'd air your feet out, you'd have a snack, and then you'd, you know, crank out 10, 20 pages and then throw it back in your pack and you'd go off again. But I, I, it is my opinion that I think a lot of people are missing. I know I missed a ton of stuff on my through hikes just by cranking out miles I know this now from hiking with my kids because they're when well, they started when they were five, but this last year they were uh, seven and ten this last uh, summer uh, when we went out. Mm-hmm. So we're not hiking; a, you know, we're doing nine to eleven miles a day, just depending on where we're at. That's about our average. But we hike a lot slower. We see I see more wildlife with them than I ever saw in a day on any three of those trails. I've seen stuff with them that I never saw on any of those trails. And I think it's because we're going slower and we're able to look around a lot more. It's amazing. And I I just think I was like, I wonder how much I actually missed on those three trails as far as wildlife or view just because you're cranking out miles or if I had, you know, the the headphones on, you know, back in the AT people would have Walkman's again, dating ourselves and they would throw a a book on tape And, and that was a big deal. That a cassette was, book on yeah. tape, right? <laughs> and they'd have to carry like four cassettes for the book, you know? <laughs> and uh, Oh, the good old days. Some, you'd find those in hiker boxes. But, you know, that was, people would only carry them for a little while because, you know, you burn through AA batteries with those. They're heavy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you'd pass the time with that sometimes, but you'd talk a lot with people and, and you know, just enjoy the trail. And I think that's what got a lot of people off, I would assume, is some of that monotony if you're not prepared for it. And to me, it was never monotonous. It was, I was looking forward to the, what's the next view today or what's, what's the cool little thing that we're going to come across, you know, on the PCT, it was just PCT and CET, just 
tons of cool history that you're always going to come across. Um, I felt like, like what, like old cabins or, you know, some sort of, if you check out the history side of wherever you're, you know, hiking through that sort of thing, coming across the old mining or logging camps, finding that stuff and just kind of taking time to explore it a little bit. Uh, I remember finding a, you know, an old bed frame in an old cabin, I think it was in Colorado and you're just like, I wonder how old this thing is, you know, and it makes you wonder today how many people are blowing past it because they've got earbuds in or, you know, they're worried too much about miles cranking out miles. Yeah. And you just, you know, hike your own hike and everything, but you're also out there to hike or most of us are. Some of us are out there for uh, that physical aspect of it. Those endorphins that kick in from a workout, but it's nothing like a great view or the waterfall or watching some marmots scurry around and chase each other on the rocks or, you know, watching elk or there's just so much wildlife out there to to see. And so many little things that you may not, yeah, this year, yeah, this year, me and my boys saw a blue crayfish in, uh, in uh, North Carolina and I'd never seen one. I had to do some research and they're not really known for that area. They're known for being further down South, but it was odd. We also saw a, a rattlesnake eating a chipmunk, you know, the, <laughs> in which I never saw, or I saw tons of rattlesnakes, yeah. but I never saw one actually with a kill. We, me and my uh, oldest, the first time he was out, we saw a bear with three cubs and we just sat there and watched him for 45 minutes scurrying around and playing in, the, in a meadow. And I never saw a bear cub when I was on any three of the trails. I saw bears, but never saw a cub, you know? So yeah. it's, just, it's just weird that, you know, when you slow down a little bit, what you're able to, to take in and enjoy. You know, people get caught up into the mile thing. And I learned this on the AT, and I, I don't think I really learned it. I saw it, and then it didn't dawn on me until later, is that we would blow through miles, and then you'd end up getting sucked into a town for a day or two. And the people that yep. you blew past, the retirees that were on the trail, they would always catch you. You know, it's the, the turtle and the hare analogy. They're just slow and steady. And they take an off day here and there, but they're usually not that far behind you because the body requires that rest. And, you you know, you, you put in enough 20, 30-mile days, your body's going to make you take a day or two off. And then if you, you know, we all get sucked into those those vortexes, and uh, we get sucked into a town or a hostel. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it can be awful. And that person just catches you and you're like, where'd you come from? And you're like, oh, I'm doing my 12, 15 miles a day and I'm going to take an off day, you know, I'll take a zero day, you know, tomorrow or something. Just, uh, mm-hmm. It's interesting. You'll both end up getting to the same place. Yeah. But your experiences will be very different. Yeah. And I, I think if I had to do them over again, I, I didn't take that many zero days on the CDT, but I think I would take a less uh, on the AT and the PCT if I had to do it again. And I would slow down my pace here and there so I could enjoy and explore a little bit more rather than being too sucked into doing the miles. Yeah, it, it does. And I, and I hear this from other people as well, but it, it does very much become a job. You know, you get up and you hike. Yeah. And that's what you do. And I, and I wonder, and maybe you can, you can tell me from your perspective, but I wonder if you start to not appreciate the actual act of what you are doing oh, you know, in terms of you are hiking a long distance through 
an extensive amount of countryside and, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, spot on. So many people, you see it at a certain point on the trail. Usually the the ones that are going to make it somewhere near the three quarter mark, they're like, okay, I'm done. I just need to, I need to barrel through this. Now it's, it's not a matter of hiking. Now it's a matter of, I need to finish. I need to accomplish this. And, mm-hmm. you know, it is, it is what it is for, for each person. Uh, and I felt sorry for those people sometimes because I was like, you know, now you're missing out on the AT, you're missing out on uh, the whites and the hundred mile wilderness and, you know, Baxter state park and, and, and everything. And, you, you know, depending on where you're at on, on the other trails, you're missing out on great stuff. If you're, if you're checking out and if you're checking out, to, to me, something has happened uh, early on. Your your body's wearing down. You're not happy with your food or anything else. So you've lost. Why are you losing drive? Because you're surrounded. Unless it's weather. I know weather can just destroy anybody. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Other than the occasional bad weather, what's what's depleting your motivation? You know, you have mission accomplishment and and your welfare. Uh, you got to keep the welfare in check and not get so singularly focused on just the mission of finishing the trail and getting those miles in and really work out the, I guess what I would tell people is really figure out what you have to do to finish the trail. Because some people don't, they just think that they see other people and they're like, Oh, they, they said that they have to do twenties to get in by the certain time. And a lot of the trails, as long as you're easy on those zero days, and you got to do some big days here and there, but for the most part, as long as you stay consistent, you'll still get done at the same time. And so worry more about your morale with good food, making sure your gear is good and that you're enjoying yourself and the whole, the whole experience will, will come together. The PCT for me was just phenomenal. And it, I don't think it was... <laughs> It was a, a multitude of things. It was one, it's a great trail. It's well-maintained, so it's easier on the body. Everybody that was out there, at least for my year, and I think this is generally the, the truth as well, is you, you don't have a lot of ill-prepared people. People put the time into it. Otherwise, they don't last very long. Right. So they're serious hikers to begin with. Uh, and then the scenery is great and you know, it's just, it's just all these great things that, that come together. And it's the fact that, you know, you, you hitchhike to go see Neil Young and that just, it's, <laughs> that, that's a great experience in itself. And all the trails had something like that. You know, you, I think his name's Bill Irwin. I'm drawing a, a blank. I think it's Bill Irwin. He did trail magic in the hundred mile wilderness in Maine. He put a sign up in the middle of a canoed in a spaghetti dinner with salad and chips and sodas and everything and hundred mile wilderness, there's no resupply or there's now there's like some stuff that you can pay to have people bring stuff to you, but you're hiking along and there's a sign in the middle of the, the trail. It says spaghetti dinner with a sign with a arrow. And you're like, what? Is this some sick joke? And you go down there and it's <laughs> Bill Irwin who he was the, uh, he was blind guy who hiked the AT dog back okay. in the nine, early 90s. So he was there with his friends. It was great to hear stories from him. And that's towards the end of the trail. And you're kind of getting, you know, man, this is tough. And then, you, you know, you meet a guy like him. And you're like, okay, it's not that bad because I can see. <laughs> you know, I'm not tripping all over. <laughs> if he can do yeah. this. Yeah. What What was your best, most favored 
favorite experience on each of the trails? I think uh, for the AT, it was probably Bill Irwin. Okay. But by far, and it was so unexpected. But also finishing the the AT was pretty phenomenal because Mount Katahdin is gorgeous. And some of my best friends that I met in Georgia, North Carolina, we finished that day together. I think it was kind of planned. We all kind of, we went to the whites together. And so summiting was, was just great. Just a great ending to the high. It was a beautiful day. and Everything was great. <laughs> the PCT, I can think of a couple of things that were just great on the PCT. And this, uh, and I've got a picture of it. I remember waking up one morning, cowboy camping in the desert, and uh, this guy, uh, Afterburner, that was sleeping next to me, I, I wake up and then Sundance, she was with us too, but she always got up super early and left. She was just taking a picture, and I just had got up and looked, and the sun's just coming up, and I see her walking off, and I just remember looking at it going, wow, how great is this? I was in the middle of the desert, cowboy camping. The sun's just coming over the horizon. I'm going to get up. I'm going to eat breakfast in my sleeping bag. And I'm just going to hike today. And I had a couple of those. I had some of them in the in the Sierras where you, you know, you wake up just as the sun's cresting. And you're just, it was just, it's so awesome. CDT was probably the same thing. I, CDT was weird. It was like a kind of a roller coaster. CDT was very poorly marked in 2001 there was a lot of bushwhacking there's a lot of times where you're there was no terminus i mean there was they had two starts or finishes yeah yeah there's no monument in new mexico there was you could either start in the boot heel or you could start over at the other and i started in the boot heel and i remember seeing a sign right off the bat i was like wow this is great it's marked mexico's gonna you know new mexico's gonna be easy and then that was the last one i saw for like five weeks <laughs> and I kept questioning myself. I'm, did, is my data wrong? Did, is my map, because I'm using BLM maps from the sixties. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I had the laugh. It was, you're going from windmill to windmill and I have this one windmill that I get to and there's a cattle tank and it's got 18 inches of sludge on top, this green goo. Oh, yeah. And, I, it's, and it was the only water. So, <laughs> I fill it up, I and hydrate like crazy and get my water. And I rarely carried more than a gallon of water at a time just to give it a weight ratio. You start hitting that point of, you know, diminishing returns. So I go to the next water source, which is like 20 miles away. And I get there with a half a quart of water and there's another cattle tank with a dead cow in it. And it's all bloated up. And I remember just sitting there and I started laughing and I'm just like, this is kind of great, but scary. It's all on my shoulders. I can't do anything about it other than I got to figure out a solution. And it was kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, in the back of my head, I'm scared, but I'm all scared. This is great because it's, this is what I came out here for. Not even sure I'm on the trail and I've, this water source is done and I'm looking for the next one. And I carried a little monocular with me, a little 10 power monocular so I could climb up on some of these windmills and look for the next one to see if it was spinning when it was far off. And, you know, luckily I, you know, found water and everything else was good, but those little instances make you feel like, wow, you know, you're, you're accomplishing a lot more than just hiking from point A to point B. You're 
you've planned it and you know, you're going to have curveballs and you're going to fix them or you just get off and you find a different trail to hike. So that's, I guess that's what I really liked about the CDT. You just found out how self-sufficient you really were. It challenged you in a new way. Yeah. Now I've got gut hook on my phone and it's great. <laughs> yeah. you know, I can go out there with my kids and I'll be like, oh no, we're good. There's great water for the next 10 miles. So just carry what's in your water bottle and you're good. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's amazing how much the experience has changed because of technology and and that kind of thing. But fundamentally, it's still very similar. Yeah. I think it, it, it empowers more people that normally wouldn't go out, yeah. which is, which is good. And you always met those, I met those people on the, the AT is full of them, people that you just, and you know, who's not going to make it. <laughs> and there's a trail angel that's out there. I can't remember his name. I met him early on, but he only does like a section of Georgia and North Carolina. And what he does is he walks out. He, he knows these little back ways into the trail and he would put weird stuff on the trail because it was pretty common to go into a shelter and find like a little brass candle lantern with a note saying, feel free to take if you can use it. And so he would walk out with a bowling ball and a pair of bowling shoes and set them like on the trail with a note and says, I don't know why I brought these, but if you can use them, take them. <laughs> And so you'd be like walking along and you'd, and it'd be like a folding lawn chair. It'd be like, I can't use this chair anymore. And he'd come back out and pick the stuff up later. But he just wanted to like mm -hmm. go further up and then read the trail logs to see what people were saying when they would, you know, see it. But you'd see people with weird stuff, you know, canned food yeah. and uh, giant air mattresses, you know, like the big eight inch thick <laughs> air mattresses. Yeah. It's funny. Like the AT is sort of the entry the entry drug right. for, tr for through hiking a lot of times. And in my, in my conversations, what I, what I found is that people go onto the AT with a lot less preparation than they do on the other trails, but they sort of, they're also a lot of times poor hikers. And so they sort of pull together the stuff that they've got at home. And that is the most random shit you've ever seen. Oh yeah. It's, it's incredible. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy really crazy the stuff that you see but somehow a lot of them make it through yeah and the et the every town in the south all the way up through to like waynesboro virginia there's it's hard not to come across a decent outdoor shop something that's going to have a better this or a better that or they can order it for you you know mm -hmm. and and people exchange out gear big time on those. And we, uh, I still see it when I take my kids out, you, you see people and they're carrying some weird stuff and they're already talking about, Oh, I'm going to change this out into the next town. Or, you know, I'm just looking at the, uh, this website says, that the, you know, these guys have good gear at the shop or whatever. And, or I'm going to get a uh, Uber driver and they're going to drive me into whatever. And I'm going to exchange this out. Yeah. The, the Uber Lyft thing has completely changed the, the hitchhiking scenario on the AT. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I guess it's a good thing though, too, because then you don't have, again, it opens it up to more people that people that are freaked out and they're like, I don't want to hitchhike. No, you don't have to. To me, it's part of the, part of the experience. At least for me, it was. Yeah. It, it certainly is part of the experience. It's to me, it's kind of part of the letting go of 
so much of the control that we have over our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and trusting in the universe a little bit, I guess. Yeah. It's funny you say that too, because I look at hiking. One of the things that I learned from all three trails is that I, it restored my faith in humanity. There's some great people out there and we see all this nastiness on the news and everything else. And uh, we didn't talk about it, but uh, my, my career right now, I'm a police officer. So I see horrible stuff all the time. So, you know, I think back to, you know, I I tell people 99% of the world are great people. It's that 1%. That's all you got to worry about is 1%. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I learned on the, on all three trails is that we had, I was on the piece, or I was on the CDT and, and we had somebody at a, at a lodge because our, our uh, bounce boxes didn't get there. She just loaned us her Jeep. This girl who's running this lodge <laughs> says, Oh, it's, it's okay. Just here, take my keys. If you go down the road, blah, blah, blah. It's like 15 miles. It's this town. There's a laundry mat and everything else. Just if you would, you know, put some gas in my car. And we're like, okay. And she didn't even know who we were. I mean, she just knew we were hikers. And it's just great stuff like that. Running out, running out of food in Virginia once, and we were just so hungry, just eating more than we were able to carry. And we stopped by uh, this house just to fill up with water. It was a drought. And they asked us how we were doing, and they gave us, we were telling them we were running short on food. They gave us a jar of pesto and this big loaf of bread, some cheese, and some, uh, some mm-hmm. pasta just to, to get us through the next day, you know, just to get us some more food. It was just, they don't have to do that. And it's just, it's like, this is great people. They don't know you. And same with, you know, hikers, people helping people out, giving them information and helping them with their gear. And yeah. It's good stuff. Coming from a place of abundance. Yeah. Basically. Is there anything you feel like we haven't talked about that should be, should be talked about or should be said? No, no. I just, uh, I appreciate you, uh, let me be part of this experience that you're doing uh, with the podcast and, uh, I can't. Uh, I can't wait to hear about your hike and uh, other people's hikes. And stuff <laughs> I like. can't wait to hear about my yeah, hike. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be great. Uh, it's kind of freaking me out a little bit. It, it's feeling much closer than it really is at this moment. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, you, you gave yourself too much time to think about it. I know. So, yeah, just totally. Just know what you're you're out there for, and and take one step at a time. That's all it is. Thank you. If if people want to reach out to you and or you know have a additional questions or whatever, where's the best place to do that? Yeah, probably uh, Instagram, just under my full name, uh, andrew.blueball, B-L-U-B-A-U-G-H. Okay. Just uh, like DM you or whatever on, on Instagram? Yep. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for uh, for reminiscing with me. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Of the good old days on the trails. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have have more great days. I, I know it. The older my boys get, the more I'm going to get out there. I'm waiting for your oldest to turn 18 and, and to hear that story. Yeah, it's going to be great. Speak a little louder And when he finds ourselves Wishing that We could make A bigger change Show notes and links for Andrew's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Andrew for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. 
We'd love to hear about your trail adventures as well. So please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. We'll see you on the trail.